I have a question for you to begin after watching that video. Are you prejudiced in any way? Are you prejudiced in any way? And as soon as you hear that, you probably answer the question like a three-year-old does who ate the cookies. Even though they got chocolate all over their face, the first response to that always is, no, I'm not prejudiced, right? I, I didn't do it. No, it's not me. But let me ask the question a little differently. Do you prejudge other people? And you just were honest about that. But the word prejudiced is the same. It's prejudge, right? I mean, you see a teenager who's texting on their phone and you think they can't hold a normal conversation. How many adults have done that before? You see a pretty lady with a much older man and you think she's a gold digger. Right? You see a young man, he pulls out a big wad of cash, you think he must be doing something illegal. You see a homeless person, you think they're there because it's their fault. We prejudge people all the time, and we can't help it because it's kind of what we've been taught growing up. Don't be naive, you've been told, right? Don't be gullible, right? And then you have your own life experiences where, you know, you've been burned before and it's caused you to be skeptical. You'd be on, you're on guard against other people. It's not really surprising that we're prejudiced. We form judgments without actually having all the information. But it gets ugly when it becomes discrimination. You see, prejudice is a mindset. It's a thinking. It's in your head. But discrimination is the actual action. When you think, the way you think becomes the way you act. Discrimination comes in lots of isms, like racism, like sexism, like tribalism, as you'll learn about today. And there's no really one way, there's no one sermon that could ever be preached that would cause you to stop discriminating. It's not going to stop discrimination. I'd love it if I could come up with a sermon that would do that, because then I would go preach it all over the country, all over the world. But instead, what I'm trying to do this morning is to get to the core issue, and that is the thinking, the way you think. I'm asking you this morning to think differently about different people. That's my goal, to think differently about different people, because I believe if you think a little differently, then you perhaps will act differently. And that's the message this morning, to think differently about different people, and we're going to see how Jesus did exactly that. Will you pray with me? God, help us today to hear your message, to hear your word, to see this story of Jesus with the woman at the well and to grab onto that and understand that that's how we can act, that's how we can respond, that's how we can lead others to you. Father, I pray that as we hear your word today that we'll just be honest with ourselves, and we'll be able to call sin, sin if it's in our life and confess it and be forgiven, and move forward. I pray this in Jesus' name, and the whole church said, Amen. Amen. So in the Holy Bible, we see things like racism, and sexism, and tribalism. All the things we see happening in our world today, it doesn't mean that God accepts it just because it's in the Bible. You need to understand that, okay? It's the reality of God giving us free will, 
in a broken, sinful world, right? When you have free will in a broken, sinful world, sin is going to happen, bad things are going to happen. But as Christ followers, we need to be different. We need to be different. We, got, we can't, as Romans 12 two teaches us, we can't conform to the pattern of the world. We can't be like everybody else is just because they are. We have to renew our minds. We have to think differently about different people. When you renew your mind, God will transform it. That's what the scripture says in Romans 12 too. So I want to renew your mind with a story today that happened to Jesus, his encounter with a woman at the well. In case you're just joining us, we're on this journey this year in the harmony of the Gospels, all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, kind of going through the three and a half year ministry of Jesus. We're in the first year, his kind of rise to popularity, and we're zooming into chapter four of John, where Jesus meets this woman at the well. And in this one meeting, Jesus confronts things like racism and sexism and tribalism. And so if you have your Bible with you, whether it be digital or paper, you can open it up. And if you don't, we'll have words on the screen for you. If you want a free Bible, we always have them on the back table there. Feel free to take any of those Bibles on the table between the couches. But this story here of Jesus is a good one, it's important, and maybe you've never actually looked at this story as an example of how to stop prejudice, how to stop discrimination. But if you look closely, you realize that there's three things that occur here, and we're going to go through each of them. So I'm going to be kind of touching on some of the verses, um, but I'm going to summarize some of the story um, as to not have to read through the whole story. So the, the, the story goes here is that um, Jesus um, is traveling with his disciples, and he's going from um, uh, Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee, okay, or maybe it's down, I don't know, topography, I don't have that in my uh, knowledge bank right now, but he's traveling a distance, and they're not traveling... Um, by vehicle, they're walking, right? And it's hot out. They left early in the morning. It's hot when they arrive in a town called Samaria. In Samaria, as we'll find out, um, it's, uh, God had a, a divine appointment for Jesus. It's noon. Jesus is, is tired, all right? He, he's tired, like the rest of the disciples, but he sends them on into town to get some food. And he's laying, kind of leaning up against the well, he's resting, and a woman will come out to draw water. Now, um, if you look at your Bible, it says it's the sixth hour. They count the hours from 6 a.m., okay, is the beginning of the day. So six hours later would be noon. It's a hot, sunny day. What you wouldn't do for that right now in Michigan, am I right? We need a good, hot, sunny day. Well, John 4, 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus says to this woman, give me a drink. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I've read that so many times before, I thought to myself, Jesus, where are your manners? Please give me a drink, right? Well, the translation probably doesn't help us understand that uh, I'm sure he was being kind with his tone. Uh, when he asks this woman for a drink. Well, in verse 9, the Samaritan woman responds, how is it that you, a Jew, she's 
pointing out his race, okay? Ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria. And then the text tells us that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, if you weren't here Wednesday night in our Bible study, I talked about this a little bit, you might want to know why do Jews not like Samaritans? Because Samaritans are actually Jewish. Here's the deal. Let's back up 750 years. Go back 750 years, and we find ourselves in 722 B.C. The kingdom is split in two. There's a northern kingdom, all right, of the ten tribes of Israel. It's called Israel. The capital of Israel, Samaria. Then you have the southern kingdom, Judah, with the two tribes. And what happened in 722 is, is that Israel went down. They were conquered by Assyria. When they were conquered by Assyria, they were taken into exile, spread out all over the land of Assyria. And they were marrying, at that point then, throughout time, marrying other people outside of their lineage. And if you read the Bible, you know genealogy is a big deal in the Bible, right? They always trace back, right? Two of the Gospels trace back the lineage of, of Jesus back to Abraham and David, right? So it's a big deal. And these, these people from Samaria, all right, they, they basically married foreigners. But then they come back to Samaria, because that's their homeland, but now they're not 100% Jewish anymore. You know, they're mixed. And that's why Jews didn't connect or, or relate to Samaritans or despise them, if you will, is because they're not 100%. This is a race, this is racism right here. This is what is going on in this particular text here. But Jesus confronts really what is, what is her prejudice, all right? Um, Jesus is not being prejudiced. He's not discriminated against her. He asks a woman of different color for a drink, all right? And she's kind of shocked by this. I think she just preferred Jesus would stay with his kind. That's the dialogue that's going on here. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Okay? She's the one being prejudiced. Jesus says to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink. If you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So look how Jesus confronts prejudice. Right? She's prejudiced to him. He confronts it this way. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't discriminate against her. Right? He deals with it. Right? He, he understands um, that she doesn't know all the facts about him, but he's going to enlighten her. He's going to help her understand who he is and what he has to offer. Living water, which really means salvation. Right? Eternal life. Salvation is for all people of all colors. Revelation 7, 9, John, Jesus' disciple, reports to us the vision that he saw. He says in verse 9, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and people and languages that were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I wonder sometimes what your vision or view of heaven is. You picture God, and do you picture like floating spirits all around him? We all have really different views, I think, sometimes of heaven. You shouldn't view heaven like that at all. In fact, 
in heaven, you will have a different body, a glorified body, we learn. But based on this verse, it appears that our body in heaven, our glorified body, will still maintain its color. How else would John know that there were people from all different tribes and languages? Your glorified body, it appears, will have similarities to your earthly body. I know Sunday mornings all over the country and the world right now, you go into churches and you recognize they're still pretty segregated. There's not too many multi-racial churches, but in heaven you will worship with Asians and Africans and Europeans and Australians and even Antarcticans. Although I think their robes are insulated because, you know, they're from the South Pole and all. But when you understand this truth about heaven, then you can be the solution to having what's on, uh, what was in heaven on earth. Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray? On earth as it is in heaven? Yeah. Will we all worship God together because salvation is for all people? If you want to be part of the solution to end racism, then you've got to think differently about different people. And you've got to recognize they're all in heaven. Everybody is recognized in heaven. Everybody, basically all colors. Jesus goes on to have this conversation with this woman at the well. John 4, 15, the woman says, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come back to this place at this time of the day to get water. Now you're about to find out why she doesn't want to come out at this time of the day, and you're about to find out why she's all alone. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, Well, you're right. You don't have a husband, but you've had five husbands. And the person you're living with right now, he's not your husband. What you've said is true, he says. What do we know about this woman now? She's a social outcast. She's coming to the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't, isn't accepted by the other women in the town. You see, women would go out not um, at the middle of the day when it's hot to get water. They would go out in the morning when it's cool out and get water for their family for the day. And they would do what women do in groups. They would talk and talk and laugh and cry and hug and laugh and cry and hug. and That's what us guys think, you know, you guys do, right? Are we right? Are we close? A little bit. You would share your feelings. But not this woman. Not this woman. She's alone. She's coming out by herself, right? And she is being discriminated against by the women in her town. This is called what we call today tribalism. Tribalism. Everyone has a little tribe or a social group, right? Or a clique, as I would like to call it, where you don't let other people in. Tribalism. This woman was not welcome. She can't keep a husband. She's living in sin now. And the women in the town don't want anything to do with her. She's out of their tribe. But Jesus doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't discriminate against her. But he does want her to confront her sin. He does want her to look within. 
And her response to what Jesus says to her, because honestly, when you read it, don't you think like, gosh, whoa, I would not say that to a person, right? You know someone is living in sin, and, she, and Jesus just calls her right out. But here's the thing. She understands he does it with love. And the way we know is because she doesn't say to him, forget you, you jerk, go to your own water. She says, wow, I see you're a prophet. You're from God. And then she goes on to ask him what's really on her heart. A great question. She says, how do I worship God correctly? She says, does it, does it matter where I worship? Because you Jews say we should worship over there in Jerusalem, but our people say we should do it right on this mountain here. She's like, where do I do it? Where do I worship God? How do I confess my sin so God will hear me? How do I get right with God? I really want to be forgiven. I don't want to live like this anymore. Maybe some of you are feeling like that this morning. That's where this woman is at. And Jesus doesn't needle her with her sin. Christians, pay attention to this, because we do this all the time to non-Christians. They don't need us to point out their sin. They know it. They know it. They know what they're doing. We don't need to do that. We do what Jesus did. He points her to God. He says in verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. How true that is. It doesn't matter where you worship God. It matters how you worship him, in spirit and in truth. We used to have a man in our church named William. At one point in William's life, he was a really, really bad drug addict. He was close to death. His life was very messed up. But by the grace of God, he was lost, but then he was found. He found forgiveness. He found God's love. And he began to grow in his faith. And he was connected to our church and was a member of our church. And even though he was a Christian in the church, he still loved his heavy metal music. And his body was still full of tattoos. And you would see him and you would think, that guy does not look like a Christian. And one Sunday, my friend's wife came with his family finally. She had not really grown up in church, not had been to church, pretty prim and proper, and she noticed William sitting next to her. She noticed all the tattoos, and she was surprised that he was praising God and worshiping God, and he had a Bible that was well used. I believe her prejudice went away that day. And that's what we need to see. We need to see that. We need to know that. Do you have a social outcast in your circle of friends? Maybe someone that just doesn't really fit with the norm, and you think maybe they're not even in your circle of friends. Maybe they're in your neighborhood or in your workplace or your school. And you think to yourself, they would never come to church. They would never. If I invited them to life of purpose, they would laugh at me. Well, if you think that, I challenge you to invite them, to battle your own prejudice. Because if you've already assumed that they're not going to come and they're not going to accept your invitation, you're being prejudiced, invite them anyway and see what God will do. 
Jesus invited the woman at the well, and she responded. She came to worship. This is how we end tribalism. Cliques. Those social groups. Think differently about different people. Think differently. Jesus says in verse 27, well, the disciples came back, verse 27, they marveled. He was talking with a woman. But no one said, well, who do you seek or what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? Why is this a big deal? Because rabbis were not supposed to talk to women in public. Okay, it was um, not what they were supposed to do culturally. And the disciples knew this, and they were being prejudiced to her, and we would say they were being sexist. Okay, that's what we say today. A lot of people think the Bible promotes sexism. You might have come across passages in the Bible and you think, that's pretty sexist. There's some passages in there that appear to be very sexist. And we live in a country that believes in equal rights, but then we read the Bible and we see that there were cultures in the past that just don't seem to have equal rights for men and women. Am I right? It doesn't mean that God's okay with that. In fact, I'll give you the example between husband and wife. One of the greatest misunderstandings that I see that comes from the Bible is how the relationship between husband and wife should go. Because people confuse equal rights with equal roles. The Bible never says that men and women have equal roles. It doesn't say that at all. When you begin to understand it, and then we get into this word submission, and you see the passage in the Bible where, where women... Wives should submit to their husbands, and boy, that makes a lot of women cringe, and a lot of men smile like the Grinch who stole Christmas. But when you understand submission properly, you understand it leads to the most healthiest marriages. When you understand it properly. Sexism is not promoted in the Bible, but it is existing today. Men think they're better than women in many cases. Women think they're better than men in other cases. And we all discriminate in that respect. So how do you end this sexism? How, what's the solution? Think differently about different people. Recognize. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. They're different. Think differently about different people. This one encounter, what does Jesus confront? Sexism, tribalism, and racism, all in one encounter. But here's the beauty of it all. This is one conversation. What happens as a result of this one conversation where Jesus confronts all of this? Take you to John 4.39. Check this out. This is what happens when you stand up and think differently about different people. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. And if you read this in John chapter 4, you find out that these people in this town worshipped God because of her testimony. They came to know Christ. I ask you this, what will happen if you do the same thing? What will happen if you just have that one conversation, if you challenge prejudices, if you challenge people who discriminate, if you think differently about different people? The woman I showed you in the video, 
Her name's Jackie Hill Perry. Her story is extraordinary. She grew up without a father, and at the age of five, she was sexually abused. Growing up in school, she was bullied, and boys took little interest in her. And she struggled her whole childhood with her sexual identity. At the age of 17, she began pursuing relationships with other women, and she found acceptance as a lesbian. But in 2008, the Lord spoke to her about her homosexuality, and God broke through with Romans 6.23. In her own words, she said, In that moment, the wages of sin equal death finally clicked. Finally clicked for her. She was transformed by the word of God. And she left homosexuality, and a couple years later, she married her now husband, and they have two daughters. She wrote a book in 2018 called Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. Now, she speaks on many Christian platforms, and it actually makes her pretty controversial because one Sunday she could be speaking in a Reformed church and then the next in a Word of Faith church. But she doesn't care because she rebukes Christian tribalism. Think about that for a moment. How many Christian tribes there are. I'll tell you, there's over 20,000 denominations of Christianity. That's tribalism on a mass scale, right? Not supposed to be like that. But I share her story because she understands discrimination. And she gave us some really good ways to deal with it. She understands it on many levels. And she says to us Christians that we need to challenge racist, sexist comments with truth and love. Don't accept it because that's who they are. That's what they learned growing up. Call sin, sin. Be honest. Have hard conversations. And uproot the seeds of prejudice. And probably the most beneficial thing that I heard is that we could build a community that loves without prejudice. That we could have a church that loves without prejudice. I think that's the greatest thing we can do here. Be a body of Christ that doesn't judge, doesn't discriminate, and challenges it when we hear it and see it. Jamie and I belonged to a church our first four years of marriage that was very racially diverse. Our pastor was African-American, his wife was Filipino, and we drew in many people of many different colors. It was fun, especially when we had potluck meals a lot of varieties. But I'll tell you, we had great conversations about racism. I remember sitting in a room in a Bible study with people of different color, and we were just open and honest with one another. It was not comfortable, but it was refreshing. And, and we grew from it, and we knew that we loved each other because we were brothers and sisters in Christ, and we were being honest. It allowed us to think differently about different people. This is what I hope will happen as a result of this message and where we go from here. Jesus met the woman at the well, and he pointed her to God. Right? That's what I need us to do. We need to point people to God. You see, when you see different people 
Let your first thought be, they need Jesus. How can I help them know Jesus? Because I believe if you see people in need of Jesus, you won't really care what color they are, what gender they are, what tribe they belong to. You won't care about any of that. You'll just see someone who needs Jesus. What a different thought process. And if you find yourself being prejudiced, you find yourself looking at someone and judging them before you even know them, here's how you can fix that. Picture yourself standing next to them right here at church. Picture yourself praising God with them, praying with them, serving the Lord with them. See, if you can picture that, well, now you're thinking differently about different people. And you will do what Jesus did. You will love the woman at the well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and how powerful it can be and how sometimes it can get in our business and challenge us in many ways. And Lord, I know this message is challenging, and I know we can hear it and just perhaps think about it, but maybe dismiss it quickly because we don't want to have those hard conversations or we don't want to challenge our own thoughts, our own prejudices. Father, I pray that you help us to grow, help us to be bold in our faith and to love others and to, I mean, really, really love people and know that in heaven, in heaven there's, there's all kinds. You love us, Father, and you don't care what color we are. You don't care. You love us. It's an amazing love that you have for us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,